Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum. So glad you joined me today. My guest today is one of the true rising stars of pro wrestling. It's Richard Holiday. Richard recently returned to the independent scene after a bout with Hodgkin lymphoma. He's been all over from Game Changer Wrestling to Northeast Wrestling, one of the hottest free agents around. So it's a pretty good chance you'll be seeing him on your TV very soon. I thought we had a really good conversation. So here we go right now with Richard Holiday. So happy to be joined today by who I think is a surefire bet to be on your TV sooner rather than later. The one and only Richard Holiday. So glad you've joined me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Surefire bet. I like that. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully I'm right, but I, I, I think I will be. But uh, first question I know is on everyone's minds who has followed your career uh, you were diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma in 2022, and you made your return to the ring earlier this year. First, how are you feeling now? And does something like that change the way you view your life and your career? Certainly changes the way I view my life, 100%. Um, but to answer the uh, uh, former part of the question, yeah, I feel great. I feel great. Probably the best I've ever felt, to be honest. I feel rejuvenated. I feel like... Um, like my body is like working again, like maybe even better than than prior to everything. So um, I'm in such an amazing physical, mental space right now. And, um, you know, I definitely look at life and my career and how appreciative I am for both um, much differently now. So definitely a different outlook, but it's a it's a good one. I had the chance to see you back in the ring for uh, Northeast Wrestling in Bethany, Connecticut uh, last month against, uh, I think it was against Victor Chase. Um, what has it been like for you to step back between the ropes again? What, what kind of feelings rush through you when you're, when you're back walking down that aisle again that might be, you know, it, it is any different than it was before? No, it's a, it's a euphoric feeling. It is. It's, it's, you know, every time I go in there now, it's, you know, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to do so and, and do my craft and do what I am truly believe I was meant to, to do on this earth. And I do feel like there's a purpose behind my work now. And, you know, it's what I can do from a you know, inspiration level. And I think it could be indirect inspiration, right? Like, I don't think I need to go out there and wear it on my chest every single time I go out there of what I went through. But I think um, if somebody were to find out and then they see me what I'm doing and they're like, whoa, I, I didn't know that. I think that's a really powerful message that that could be given. Have you had any of those interactions so far with people since uh, you, you've been back for a few months now? You pretty much have had the summer, I think, uh, since since you've been back. But when was the first batch back? Yeah, it's been the summer of holiday, as I've been saying. The first Very batch nice. back was Ju was June 10th, and yeah, I've had plenty of interactions. You, you, you know, I've I've met so many fans, specifically young fans, who have come up to me and they're like, "Hey, like, I have this. Like, it's so cool that you've." you know, you're doing what you're doing and you had this, it just gives me a new outlook and inspiration. And I think that's such a beautiful, wonderful thing. And now for you, I think you're ordinarily a bad guy or a heel in a lot of the scenarios that you're doing, but everyone was wishing you the best for so long. It's, it's so hard not to cheer you, you know, in, in what you're going through right now. Is that, is that a good adjustment? Are you, are you confident enough in your own ability to perform that, you know, you figure you'll get that back uh, when you need it? <laughs> Here's the way I look at things, Phil. I believe that everybody has, you know, uh, layers to their personality. And I think, Phil, I'm sure if, if you know, if uh, given the wrong circumstances, you can be a bit of a, uh, a jerk in a sense. I think anybody could. I think anybody has the ability to be good or bad. It's all kind of inherent in ourselves. And 
you know, given the circumstances right now, I'm, I've been in a, a good mood and I've been uh, so joyful to be back and doing everything that I'm doing. And I'm obviously confident in myself as a performer, just anyway, you know, anyway, I get into the ring, whatever mood I may be in that day or that month or that year, whatever mindset I'm in, uh, Richard Holiday is going to give you something special and you're going to go home remembering me. Very, very good. Uh, any matches or moments from uh, your comeback so far that have stood out to you? Man, they've all been special in their own right. Um, you know, I would say a couple of highlights that I've had was uh, the debut I had for GCW, I thought was was a ton of fun and, and was something I think a lot of people didn't really anticipate. I don't think that they saw that match coming. And when it was announced, it garnered a lot of attention and a lot of buzz. But, man, I, just every match I've had, I had a match at American Rana against Brad Hollister. I thought it was super special. I feel like I'm on probably the best run of my career. To be honest, from an in-ring standpoint, I'm putting on matches that I think are are, are can really stand up to anything I've ever done. I just had a match with Hammerstone in California that was uh, received uh, a "This is awesome" chant from the audience, which is always always reassuring. So, you know, everything I do, everything I've been doing, has been uh, momentous, and and certainly uh, I appreciate all of them. And thinking about it now too, I like that that I I can also be a jerk if I if I want to in certain scenarios. I'm sure you could. <laughs> Anybody could. Anybody could be a jerk given the uh, wrong circumstance, right? Yeah, it's it's everybody's individual perspective of how they view you. So uh, I'm sorry for anybody out there if I if I've been a jerk to you, but uh, you know I don't really care. But uh, <laughs> are the as you shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Are the independents sort of like a lab for you to tr- sort of figure out what works and what doesn't? What do you and and just what what are you looking for when you go to when you take an independent booking? Sure, yes and no. I mean, I, I go to independent bookings that I think are are good for me and they're good for my career. And you know, I'm, anywhere that I go, I'm pretty selective. So you know, I definitely do my due diligence and and make sure that I'm performing for a company that takes it just as serious as I take it. That's probably the most important thing for me. And you know, I'm on a run right now where I'm not signed to you know a major company or a corporation or anything like that, and I can take bookings as I go and go where I may uh, may please, which is uh, a lot of fun. I will say, you know, I've said I like to to flex the uh, the free agent muscle a bit, and you know, while I haven't popped up anywhere that might uh, garner you know uh, contra- contractual talks or anything like that, or on screen at least, um, I'm having fun. You know, it's it's fun. I I love the indies. With you back in the mix, it makes sense now that you are one of the hottest unsigned guys out there now that you've left uh, MLW. What would go into the decision-making of where Richard Holiday lands? Yeah, so I think that process, if and when it comes about, is going to be one where it's, you know, where do I ultimately want to go? Where do I ultimately feel like I am going to flourish and be the best version of myself and and have a long career there? Um there's a lot of great options. The, the industry is very sublime right now. There's so many great places to go and work and make a name for yourself and continue to, you know, uh, etch yourselves in history and whatever, however you want to spin it, right? There's there's a lot out there. So I got my eye on a few places and uh, I'd like to think that they have their eye on me. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I, I've said this before, like, listen, I'm not in the boardrooms. I'm just, I wake up every day as me. I go where I go. I put on the performances that I put on, and then ultimately, if they want to underline my name in that said boardroom and and have a discussion, then I'm open for it. I saw the interview you recently did with Sean Ross Sapp. You guys were talking about how much the 
landscape had really changed in the industry also. But to me, even despite the changing landscape, the talent is still going to end up rising to the top of wherever, you know, anybody goes. I mean, you kind of see it that way too, is that it also, I guess, kind of depends on uh, who's making the decisions. (laughs) Listen, uh, Macho Man said it best, the cream rises. It always rises. You know, it's, that's, how it is in any industry, in any sport, in any job, the best person is always going to rise to the occasion. And that's why you're going to see certain people in, in numerous places. I, I do feel like the independence is almost very territorial now where it's like, you know, a lot of guys are, you know, just Northeast based or just Midwest based or just West Coast based or just, you know, wherever based. And then there's people who are fortunate enough where you've made a name for yourself where different of the quote unquote territories will, will bring you in. And I feel like I'm one of those people. And, you know, I've, I've delivered on, uh, you know, any expectation that people may have, which is great. So that's, that's kind of the uh, part of the fun, right. Is, is, is showing up in these different territories and uh, showing up in these different promotions. And I like uh, debuting in places and in, in, in new fun places. Like I'm debuting for dream wave wrestling in October in Chicago. It looks like an amazing spot. So we're going to have some fun that night. Very good. Uh, take me back to the beginning, the very beginning of your wrestling career, if you can. And um, explain to me you know, what it was like training under, I believe it was Paul Roma and Mario Mancini at Paradise Alley, Par- Paradise Alley Professional Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and they just seem like two old pros who know their stuff. Uh, what, what, what's, uh, what, what are those guys like and what was it like learning from them? Two old pros, for sure. Uh, no, great guys. And listen, I was actually the first student at PAPW. So I actually received a lot of one-on-one training. There was no other students. It was just me, Paul, and Mario. So, you know, learning to bump, learning to hit the ropes, learning all that stuff, it came very easy to me. And it, it's like, how do you progress from here? We don't have tons of students to, you know, run drills and things like that. So uh, the, the psychology of wrestling was really drilled into me um, via Paul and Mario. And I had a lot of one-on-one training and then ultimately, you know, the, the brand grew and PAPW started gaining more students. And then we started to get into all those things. But I feel like I really got like wrestling 101, like wrestling, you know, 201, 301, like before a lot of other people did. So I think that that really uh, parlayed into, you know, the way that I wrestle now and my career and how I approach things. It's fascinating to me, you know, to kind of hear too. Like, I'm not sure if everybody nowadays would necessarily know those guys so great. But, you know, they were everywhere, you know, and you look back in the 80s, you know, they were right there in the thick of things in the WWF in the 1980s, especially Paul Roma all over the place, you know, for a really, really long time, too. So probably a great experience. And also when you're the first student at a school, I'm guessing that uh, you end up helping some of the subsequent uh, students there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, there was a time where I was the trainer uh, where Paul had some medical stuff that he had to take care of. And I, I ran class for like a year and a half. It was a great experience, and there's a lot of students now who are on the independents who are doing great, and I get to see, you know, how well they're doing, and, you know, I don't take credit or anything for their career, but it's nice to know that, you know, I played a little bit of a part in it. Is there anything that those guys individually, something that they specialized in that really kind of resonated with you? No, I think that there was just so many different uh, types of students, and, you know, when they're younger, you know, younger guys than me, there's they they have so many different outlooks on wrestling and like different styles that they like a little bit more. And, you know, there's a specific style that, you know, I wrestle and it shows in my work, but you know, for them, they're, they're like, Oh, well, I like this and I like this. And I'm like, okay, well, how can we all kind of bring this together and 
and see what we can come up with. So it was a fun experience for me. I, I certainly learned a lot. How big of a fan of wrestling were you before you uh, became one? Huge, huge. I, you know, I always say that we're the biggest fans because we decided to do it right. <laughs> and a period where I didn't really watch it. It was probably around the time where I was playing college football, but I, uh, it, it's always been the biggest part of my life for sure. Since, since I can remember since I was probably five years old. Very good. Are, are there other people who you consider your mentors in pro wrestling? I mean, Paul and Mario are, are, you know, my wrestling dads, maybe dad and uncle. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for the most part, I mean, there's, there's certainly people who have been very influential on my career and, um, you know, just per people who I've worked with over the time. But I mean, Paul and Mario are really my, my people that I've always leaned on for the most part. How did you find, you know, the, sort of the Richard Holiday persona and, and what is your creative process like for pro wrestling? I mean, I just think it's me. I think it's 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 pretty authentic. Um, everything that you see, you know, obviously there's things that may be turned up a bit, but you're just turning them up. I'm not really, you know, manufacturing anything all too uh, all too much. There's really not anything artificial about Richard Holiday. That's who I am. I mean, I have a degree in marketing. It's you know, I am college educated. I am uh, articulate. That's just kind of the way that I go about things and. I feel like I deliver an authentic performance of who I am each and every time you see me. And I was going to ask you too, going back a little bit to the, you know, the kind of the early influences in wrestling. Is there, is there like a first match or a first angle that you remember connecting with best when you were watching wrestling when you were younger? You know, I mean, not really. I mean, because to be honest, my, my favorite wrestlers when I was a kid were Kane and the Undertaker. So uh, I, I can't really say that there was a time where I was like, that's that's what I want to do when I'm uh, older. I think it was just the whole thing, like the whole spectacle to me was just like, this is amazing. Um, so I, I honestly, I wish I could give you like the pinpoint answer. Right. Like, this is when I knew I was going to be a wrestler. I really, I think it was, I was just hooked from day one. I don't really, really remember what it was. But Kane and Undertaker was its own its whole story anyway. So uh, the best, the yeah. best. And, and so layered and for such a long period of time. Did you actually debut at Northeast Wrestling or did you debut on some other shows, uh, Paradise Alley, before that? I was trying no, to my, that my, my first match ever was in South Bend, Indiana. Interesting. Uh, against Brian Costello, who was a friend of Roma's from the 80s. I remember. And, yeah, and uh, that was my first match. We drove like 14 hours to Indiana. We stopped at Waffle House. You know, we stayed at the hotel. We had a, the whole wrestling experience, and it broke me into the business. And I remember going out to dinner that night, and Tito Santana said to me, all right, you're one of us now. And that was actually a really cool moment for me. And I remember that distinctly. So that was actually my first match. And then we came back, and my Connecticut debut uh, was for Paradise Alley. Interesting, interesting. I, I can only imagine. I, I didn't even know Brian Costello still would have been wrestling when uh, when you would have been starting. So what what was that? Uh, what was that experience like? I know it was your first match, so everybody's first match is probably an interesting story. But what what was it like getting in there with him? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, I just remember showing up and going in the locker room. It was actually at, at a minor league baseball stadium, so like the locker room was beautiful, big locker room, and you know, I just remember a lot of old timers in there, a lot of legends. Um, you know, Cowboy Bob Orton, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Roma, of course, and seeing him in that light, you know, seeing him as a booked talent as opposed to my trainer, that was really cool for me. 
and then there's like me and I'm just in there and I'm like, whoa, like, look at all these, you know, guys who have, you know, kind of paved the way for me. And then I got in there with Brian and it was a lot of fun. And I had my first match and listen, is it something that I would watch back now and be like, look how good this was? Probably not. But, you know, I have that memory now and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, I did have the pleasure of meeting uh, Roma. Actually, it was actually at one of your matches because it was at the Melrose Ballroom for MLW, and he was hanging out and watching some of the some of the oh, show yeah. that night too. So I I had to go say hello because you know you have to. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I remember when he came to that in New York. Yeah, yeah. What did MLW mean for your career, and how did you grow in your time there? Meant a lot. Meant a lot. I have no problem saying that that that's the promotion that put me in the national spotlight, and. You know, I felt like there was a run in 2018 when I, I won the ECW Super 8, which is a very prestigious uh, tournament in wrestling. So many major names have either competed or won that. So to have my name on that list was cool. And then that kind of went into the MLW signing. And then I spent four and a half years there. And, you know, I traveled, you know, all over the place and, you know, got to see the world with MLW and get some national TV experience and get media experience and, that really opened it up. And then the independents saw me doing my thing on MLW and it parlayed into more bookings there. So it really was just a really wonderful experience. And I'm very thankful for my time at MLW. Where do you see them kind of in the greater landscape of wrestling now and how, and the, and in the ways that they present it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd be lying if I said I kept up with it like full throttle. I, I mean, I see some things on, on social media. I still maintain a good relationship with court. Um, although I don't, we, we don't really find ourselves talking wrestling all too much. We more talk about the Yankees, uh, which is great, but we, uh, you know, I see what they're doing. It looks like they're kind of doing more of like a youth movement, getting a lot of younger talent in there, which, which is great. That's what they should do and, and kind of build up from there. And they still have some really experienced guys who can draw and who can, who can steer the ship. So I mean, I'm sure they're in a great spot and I wish them nothing but the best. Yeah, fun shows to go to. And I'm, I guess talking about the Yankees is maybe a little bit better than talking about my Mets, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're making a push. We're, ma- we're making some sort of push. I asked Court, I'm like, are you sipping the Kool-Aid here? Because we just swept the Astros and we're suddenly like seven out. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. They stink. I'm just waiting for these 11 guys that the Mets got on the deadline to see what they end up doing with them. So, but right. uh, in MLW, you were part of the dynasty with Alex Hammerstone and the current AEW World Heavyweight Champion, MJF. How did the three of you guys complement each other? Uh, in a way, that's kind of tough to describe. Like, you would never think that us three would get in there and mesh the way that we did. You would think that it would be some semblance of oil and water, but it was just three dudes who just like, knew what this was and how fun it could be. And we made the absolute most of it and probably made some of the most memories in MLW history. And I think we're, we're still to this day, probably one of the most talked about entities that has ever been part of that show. What do you think of the rise of MJF and what he's doing now? It's been pretty, it'll be pretty fun to see you guys cross paths again at some point in your careers too. Uh, just what, what makes MJF tick? You know, what, what, what can you tell me about him? Uh, you know, he, he is who he is and I'm super proud of him and, you know, he's on top of the world right now and he's doing great. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he is dedicated to, to this and, and being the best. And he shows that every time he goes out there. And it's kind of funny that in his current angle, he's kind of telling people, oh, I never had any friends. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I watched MLW before you, you, you had a couple. <laughs> so sure, you sure. that? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, maybe not, uh, would I be the best man at his wedding? I don't know, but probably not. But yeah, I mean, he's, uh, we certainly have a history and, and people still love to talk about it. 
That's great. How much did you enjoy doing the vignettes and segments outside of the ring that you got the chance to do in MLW? Probably more than the in, inside the ring stuff. I mean, to me, that's kind of, uh, I don't want to say that's where I excel because I feel like I excel in every facet of this business, but that's something that I certainly enjoy. And I think a lot of people in wrestling don't enjoy that that much. And I think they're wrong for that. So I, I love the vignettes. Do you, did you like them? Because it, it, it does, you mentioned before, kind of adding the layers to your character. Is that kind of, you know, what you, what you liked about it or. It, it adds all the layers. It adds every layer. It's, it's, you know what I mean? It's the entire thing. And a lot of people don't realize that they think that they can just, you know, just focus on the in-ring stuff. And I, I, I don't know, in my opinion, that'll only get you so far. I think people need to see who you are to resonate what you do in the ring. Yeah, and I think there's multiple ways you could do it, too. You could do it with the vignettes, but you could also do it with, like, an interviewer, you know, the, the back and forth with that. That's going to be kind of a different, necessarily, you know, kind of take for, you know, where, where your character ends up going, too. Um, right. Did you did you have a favorite MLW moment or match from your from your four years there that you can uh, point to? Yeah, probably probably uh, with Hammerstone. I think, I think that was the best. I think that was the best piece of work with the Cloud Couple and that whole kind of run, probably the night in Charlotte was probably my favorite memory uh, when I bloodied my boy up. And uh, I've recently apologized to him for that. So that was easily my, my favorite memory of that company. Very good. Very nice. Uh, so we're going to move on to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. So obviously you're a, you're a coffee guy. Uh, do you have a go-to Starbucks order? And it does it differ when you get coffee from somewhere outside of Starbucks? It differs, yes. Uh, go-to at Starbucks is a, a VIA, as I like to call it, a venti iced Americano. And then if I go to a craft coffee shop, I'm usually getting a Cortado. And I guess I'll just ask why. <laughs> uh, Cortados, to me, show the craftsmanship of a coffee shop, and they, it lets me know how much dedication they put into it. And I have a whole album of my phone of all the coffee shops that I've been to all over the country, and I take pictures of it so I can remember. And I appreciate some good latte art and some good Cortado art, and I just appreciate a Cortado. I think it's a coffee drinker's drink. And then at Starbucks, I just always get the VIA. That's 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 just my go-to. So next question. So I know that you're a, kind of an expert on ear pods from seeing you uh, around. So my brother tells me that the wired ear pods that I use look stupid. And then so do my uh, podcast headphones. So you're the ear pod god. What step do I need to make next? Uh, so the, you know, the AirPod, well, when that was really part of my persona, has been laid to rest. But people still you know, to this day kind of uh, resonate me with it. And that's totally fine. I'm sure I've influenced many of purchases for AirPods. Um, you know, I, uh, in terms of headphones, they, they, they kind of irritate me every now and again. People might not know that these AirPods irritate me. I hate when the left one doesn't charge the way the right one does. It's, uh, and you're in the gym, it's very irritating. Uh, in terms of the wired headphones, I think that you should probably adapt to the times <laughs> from those. Uh, but the over the head, man. I mean, listen, you're 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 in a studio, rock some studio headphones. That's probably the best the uh, best route for you. Yeah, and just the, the audio on these is really good too. And also, I paid a lot for them, so I should probably stick to them, even though my brother thinks they look stupid. Right. But, uh, and then the final question: If you were in a pro wrestler, what what might you be doing instead? Probably marketing. Probably marketing. Uh, I do enjoy it. I have a degree in it. I, I like the concept of advertising and and working on concepts and being creative in that sense. So I think probably that, but I'm thankful that wrestling exists and I don't have to worry about that. 
Do you see, uh, jumping off of that a little bit too, do you see a lot of crossover between, you know, what your background in marketing is and pro wrestling just as, a, as an industry? Wrestling is marketing. Yeah. It is. Wrestling is marketing. It's They're so equal. They are mutually exclusive. Yeah, so you know how to do one, and you're, you've already got kind of a starter kit for the for the next. So Right. Um, well, Richard Holiday, thank you so much for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I wish you all the best of luck with everything, obviously your health and and your career moving forward. I've really been enjoying it, especially the stuff I got to see from you uh, in MLW. So glad you joined me today. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate the words. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank my guest, Richard Holiday, and I'd also like to thank Vic Delicious for making the connection. Follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring and on threads at PJ Strum for the latest guest announcements, and have a great week.